So where do we go from here? What do we do about all these people? What do we do about food? And how do we prepare when we don't even know what exactly to prepare for? It's interesting how some questions never expire. These may have been a few of the questions that the people who were with Jesus in Mark 14 may have been asking. These may also be some questions that we may be asking. And one of the things that Mark 14 comforts us in knowing is that when we are unprepared with words to answer these questions, we're prepared to hear a word other than our own. May we hear from the words from Mark 14. This is the reading from Mark 14, 12 through 25. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one after another, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I had someone in their 20s tell me this week that they believe that they have now experienced four decades in their life. They've experienced the 2000s the 2000 teens, the 2020, and uh, of course, the month of March. That They would actually be a little bit dramatic in defining how long this period in our world has been. Uh, but it's crazy to think about sometimes uh, what has just recently happened. Advent, the season of waiting and preparing, happened just three months ago in the month of December. And when I think back to Advent, I think back of uh, how much I, I think I nailed this season. Uh, in this season of waiting and preparing, I did uh, basically what the Lord wanted all of us to do during Advent, which was watch all of the Star Wars movies back to back in anticipation of the ninth one coming. And uh, I can say that this time in my life was very forming for me. And I actually think that in the midst of doing this, I slightly had revealed to me what Mark 14 may be doing at a time like this. 
Because I'm a man of uh, self-control, I only went and saw this movie four times in a row. And one of the times that I went and saw it, I actually saw it with people of two gener generations. One who will remember the words of Jesus. They, uh, they didn't know what they were doing, and they had never seen it before. And then there was one who had been with the movies ever since the glorious days of Harrison Ford. You may not remember some of those movies. That was more of my generation. But they had been with the movie all the way to the beginning. And when we left the theater that day, and we were reflecting on it, the one who had never seen the movie before said, eh, those movies were pretty good. Except for all the old random reference stuff. And as you can imagine, the one who had been with the movies ever since the beginning lost it. What do you mean? Listen here, kiddo. This isn't something with just lightsabers. This story has history. This story has meaning behind it. This story means something. How can two people hear the same story and draw a different meaning from it? Because one person can know that there's a story underneath the story. This is the story that Mark is telling. That there is a story that's behind the story that's actually happening, that's being described. This isn't a brand new story. This is a story that's actually continuing. And as Mark is telling this story, he's going to do it way less discreetly. Mark can't get seven words in before he has to tell you it was the night of the Passover. He actually starts by saying it was the night of the unleavened bread, which if you don't know what that means, that's very unfortunate for those who really enjoy donuts. But other than that, what is the day of unleavened bread? The Passover. It was a day, but not just a day, it was a meal. And it was a meal that meant something. It was a meal that remembered that God's people had been saved by the blood of the Lamb. It was a reminder that death had passed over the houses in which the blood of the lamb had been painted on the doorways. God, through the blood of the lamb, had saved the people. And it was the night of Passover. To take Passover would be like making a major statement. It would be saying that God has freed us. Now the irony, though, is that as this story is being told in Mark 14... God's people are anything but free. They're actually in a different form of oppression of the day. Which would make a big statement to take the Passover, not just any statement, a political statement. A statement that would say, despite how everything else looks around us, we are the free people of God. Not just any statement, a political statement. And Jesus is going to spend this night making a statement himself. But as you heard Ashley read through the text, Jesus is about the only person who is actually prepared for the events of the night. The people who are actually with Jesus, they're surrounded by Jesus, they find that they are unprepared for not just the days to come, but even the night that is coming. The Passover meal wouldn't be just this lean cuisine meal that you would throw in the microwave and just get ready to go. It was one that took time and preparation. You had to prepare for it. 
And in this moment where the disciples come to Jesus and say, how do you want us to prepare for it? We get reminded of something very timely for right now. That the disciples in this moment of being unprepared get to watch as Jesus already has the ball rolling behind the scenes. It's as almost if a statement to say that God is working even when they are not working. That God is working even when things don't seem to be working. That God is working even when there's nothing to work on. That there's something happening behind the scenes. And people have historically kind of looked at that piece in Mark and they've said, uh, there's one part of that that's kind of like really unsuspected. Uh, and one of them is like, uh, I don't know, the man that's carrying the jar. And historically, people have recognized that that's just kind of a weird detail that's out of place. That it's just uncommon. Like back in those days, you would not find culturally a man carrying a jar. Usually men would carry some type of wineskin and a woman would carry a jar. The two things just don't go together. It's like the equivalent of putting like Jeff Nelson and standing still in worship. The two just do not collide together. This is what they're saying when it comes to the work of God. The work of God when we are unprepared is unexpected. It is a way that God is working that we don't even know the ways, but the ways are happening underneath the surface. There's a story beneath the story. And the disciples aren't expecting it. And obviously the disciples are not expecting it because you get to the actual table meal where Jesus just drops the news and says, uh, by the way, I'm going to be betrayed. And maybe the literal reading of the text would do us uh, some favors because, you know, when you read it in Mark in that translation, it says, well, Lord, surely, surely not I. Um, if we were to just translate it literally how the text lays it out, it would be phrased, it isn't I, is it? It's almost like the phrasing has some doubt Inside of the answer, Twitter back in 2018, you didn't see that turn happening, did you? Twitter back in 2018 recorded some of the best conversations between parents and their children. And one of the top ones that I think resonates very close with how the disciples interact with Jesus uh, was this one. There was an agitated mom that found a stain on the carpet. She brings her two boys in, brings them in and says, who is responsible for these stains on this carpet. Silence fills the room for a minute. One of the boys raises his hand and goes, did you say carpet or wall? Carpet, she said. Oh no, that one wasn't me. <laughs> that when you think about the response of the disciples, there's almost a question that gets asked in their response. It's almost as if their answer has more questions than their answer does. And it seems like the table that Jesus brings together in Mark 14 is one where he is okay with questions sitting at the table. One of the questions that Mark is going to actually make us sit with, because we know what Mark has said before this chapter and also what other gospel writers have said, that 
there's a question of why Judas is not brought up. The cat is actually already out of the bag because we know that it's Judas that betrays Jesus. But Mark doesn't include this detail. Our children's minister, who you saw just a little bit earlier, Suzetta, has this wonderful approach when listening to the stories of Jesus. And those who are in his kids probably are very familiar with it. When we walk with the story of Jesus, one of the things that's healthy for us to do is ask, I wonder questions. Mark 14 is drenching with asking the question, I wonder why Mark doesn't describe Jesus pointing at Judas. I wonder why Mark doesn't mention that. And as I've sat with that story, I have one thing that I wonder. I wonder if Mark doesn't include the bit about Judas is because Mark wants us to sit with betrayal is not one person's reality. Betrayal is everyone's reality. That part of the human experience is actually walking through the sense of somewhat of betrayal. That that's something that we all walk through. If I listen to a lot of the things in which we are processing right now at this time, I wonder if we're processing a sense of betrayal. Life has a way of betraying us. When you think about um, there's relationships sometimes where betrayal happens. You think about time tends to betray us. Commitments tend to betray us. Our bodies, we're in a season of Lent. Our bodies tend to betray us. If you don't believe me about bodies, just ask someone over the age of 30. How quick was it for you to get back to working out like you were in high school? And see how long it takes them to laugh at you. Betrayal may be a common human experience. And it tends to leave us unprepared. For many of us, I would guess that we're processing feelings of betrayal. You know, the ability at one point that we assumed we were able to just go see our grandkids whenever we wanted. The thought of thinking that I would always have the greatest amount of health and nothing would affect that. The senior recital or show that I was always assumed and promised that it would happen isn't happening. We all process betrayal. And one of the strongest things of the Christian faith when it comes to the sense of betrayal that you and I are processing through is to remember that Christianity doesn't try to reach for the words of why, but it reaches for the words of who. That in our moments of feeling like life has betrayed us, we remember that Jesus walked through betrayal. Think of the moments that lead up in Mark 14 and that happen after. Jesus is going to experience people going back on his word. People are going to experience Jesus actually being betrayed by the governing society that is in place in that day. Jesus is going to be betrayed by some of his closest friends. And in the midst of this betrayal, and hold on to this, in the midst of the betrayal, 
what we see happen is Jesus doesn't reach to do something or change something. Jesus doesn't do something. He just is being with a group of people. In the midst of this crisis that is about to completely unfold in Mark 14, Jesus simply prepares a meal. He prepares a meal where he takes some elements and he says these elements that have history, this bread that has history, this cup that has history, he blesses them, he breaks them, and then he gives them. And then the one who is blessed by God will go out and be broken by the cross and give his life. He will do exactly what happens in the meal. And in the midst of this meal, out of all the people that Jesus could spend time with, Jesus could spend time with wealthy people, influential people to maybe shift things or change things. In the midst of the last meal that he's going to spend, he wants to spend it with a group of people who are unprepared for what is about to happen. There's this thinker by the name of Rowan Williams who has this thought, who says, the meal that takes place with Jesus, the truth for the disciples is also the truth for you and I. He actually says it this way. It is perhaps the simplest thing we can say about Holy Communion, yet it's still worthy of saying it. In Holy Communion, Jesus tells us he wants our company. That the meal that Jesus takes, the night that Jesus wants the company of the disciples, that truth still exists today. This is one of the reasons that when we have come to the table, we have remembered that we are people that are not just remembering Jesus, Jesus who lived in the past. We are remembering the presence of Jesus that is present with us right now. That in communion, we have the presence of the Lord who was blessed, who was broken, and who gave his life for some people like us who are not prepared for what is ahead. And just so we make clear what this table was like, when we come to this table to be with the resurrected Lord, this is not a table of low stress, of happy days. This is a table that's full of stress, high anxiety, questions people are asking, wondering where things are going next. This is the climate of the table that we come to. And Jesus invites us and says, in the midst of this, you can actually come with these questions and be ready for my presence. Because, church, when we come together at the table, coming like we do today or coming like any time that we have before, the moment that we come to the table, just like Passover, makes this massive statement. 
When we sit at the table, we make a statement like any other in the world. When we sit at the table, we are declaring that the story we are living has a story that's going underneath it. Church, when we are gathering at the table, we're making a statement that says, no matter what we navigate with family, we are in the midst of God's family. When we sit at the table, when we come to this table, we remember that even though we feel so unprepared, we are prepared for the table because in the moment that you're unprepared, Jesus prepares for us. And the table, most importantly, reminds us that the company of Jesus accompanies us into the world. And that's a statement we desperately need to hear. One of the things that we process as a church every week when we come to the table um, is that we hear hard news that we're not prepared for. And I would imagine a lot of us are in a season of grieving just because there's ways in which we don't get to uh, be with loved ones or uh, connect with those that we care about who may be in some sort of health concern. And one of the pieces of news that uh, we heard as a family this week uh, was the cancer diagnosis of Sarah Campbell. And in the midst of hearing this news, one of the ways that the table, the company of Jesus, accompanied us into the world was through some of the ideas of their care contacts that Chris spoke about earlier. That some people came up with an idea to make a statement to the Campbell family. So if you'll look at your screen here, we've actually got some video footage of the idea that came with it. As you will see, there's a lineup of cars and basically the care contacts had this idea to make a Campbell parade. What we were thinking would maybe be uh, 10 to 12 cars ended up filling all of Thomas Elementary with everyone staying in their cars and one by one driving by the Campbell's house with decorated signs and candy and being able to make a statement to the Campbell's. That in the midst of this weird time of presence, they, they were able to create a parade to actually convey the presence of God. People showed up. Neighbors were asking why in the world this was happening. It looked like we were lining up into the neighborhood for a 50 cent corn dog night, okay? We even got the blessing of watching Chris Moore dress up, which I'll save that for you later, but it was a blessing in and of itself. But when neighbors asked the question, why were we doing this? There were plenty of answers, but at the core, the answer is the table. That at the core of it, church, the company of Jesus worked through you to accompany you into the world and to make a statement. And this is the power of the table in which you and I are about to come to right now. That this is a table that we are remembering the work of God and the company of Jesus moves about us. It's the moment where we get to center ourselves, where Christians have said, yes, we take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice and really it's not that filling, but in these elements, in some unique, mysterious way, we nourish ourselves with the presence of Jesus.
that the risen Lord is actually present with us in this moment. That Jesus longs for your company at the table to accompany us into the world. So I want to encourage you at home, if you, uh, if you have the elements with you, I want to ask that you, uh, you actually pick them up, the bread and the cracker. There's a liturgy that early, early Christians would actually pray over these elements. They would say the phrase over the bread, be for us the body of Christ so that we may be the body of Christ in the world. Church, as you take these two elements, and what we're going to do is we're going to display uh, some questions for you to be able to discuss with people in your home. So if you're in a group, there's a top question for you and the other people in your room to discuss as you take these elements. And we also want to speak to those of you who are watching just individually in your home. Uh, Michael is going to come up and he's going to sing a song. Uh, and that song is going to be uh, Christ All About Me. And in Michael singing this song, we've got a question for you to reflect and commune with Jesus and reflecting off of the lyrics that Michael is about to sing in this song. But as you take these two elements, as you remember that Jesus longs for your company, that Jesus is wanting to remind you of his company here to accompany you into the world, may you remember that these elements are just a foretaste of what's to come. May you remember that God is at work even in the ways that we can't work or want to work or trying to work. Church, are you stressed? Are you wrestling with ways that you don't feel prepared? The table is prepared for you. Church, God desires you at the table. God is ready for you to commune with him. May we be people who remember that as we take these elements. Let's pray together. Lord, who was blessed and broken and given, we come with you in our hearts right now. God, we pray to encounter you in a unique and mystical way right now. God, we thank you for your body and your blood and your sweat and your tears that poured out for us in the sake of union with us. May you bless us, may you break us, and may you give us to the world this week. Reveal your presence through this cracker, and through this cup. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, as we uh, come to the close of our service, I'd like to invite you at home, actually, to stand just as a way of in solidarity of the way that we always do our benediction. For those who feel unprepared, for those who feel slightly betrayed, for those who feel distant, 
this week. Church, may you know the company of Jesus accompanies you into the world. May you go in peace.